Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, the season preview series rolls on. We are here tonight to talk about your dearly beloved Virginia Tech Hokies, and we have a, a very special and brand new guest onto the podcast to talk about them with us. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, my Hokies, for better or worse, Joey. Um, we're on a little streak of beat writers here, too. Yeah, we are. So we got Norm Wood joining us, uh, covers the Hokies, of course, UVA, and all of ACC sports uh, for the Daily Press and Newport News. Gracious enough with his time to join us tonight. Norm, how's it going, man? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. It's uh, nice to be called a very special guest. I'll take that. <laughs> yep. Well, we're uh, we're very happy to have you on tonight. Um, let's start here with the Hokies. Obviously, last season, the 2018 season. Didn't go so well, I guess, to put it lightly. Um, Hokies, of course, fought for bowl eligibility. Um, obviously needed the needed the rescheduled game at the end of the year to beat Marshall to get back to bowl eligibility. And it was a tough year with injuries, of course, with Josh Jackson going down early in the year, the upset with Old Dominion, and a couple of really bad blowout losses in there to Miami and Pittsburgh. Uh, just give your overall assessment of the 2018 season for Virginia Tech as it really was a rough one for the Hokies. Well, I mean, it, it, it was, I guess you can look at it as a, as a somewhat of a disastrous season, but it was a disaster for, 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 for several legitimate purposes of reasons, should I say. I mean, it's tough to, um, tough to pull together when you've got a lot of guys that are looking to, to jump ship uh, in the middle of the season uh, like they had. I mean, they had guys that were transferring before the season was over and, DeAndre Planton, who uh, factored in, um, you know, in, in, into the offensive line plans that, that you know, early in the season, and uh, and then quickly found his way out of that rotation. Ended up going to North Texas before the season was even over. And Rico Kearney comes off a great game against Boston College, I believe it was, where he had what 19 tackles, I think, and then all of a sudden he wants to to split. So, you know, when you've got guys that are you know, looking like they could be factors in the in the in, on both sides of the ball, uh, looking to bail. Um, to me, that's a small, at least a small sign of some some things. Just there's some of some unrest. You know, some things that just aren't right. And um, you add that to the the general youth that they had in the secondary, and and um, you know some some injuries, some some critical injuries, obviously on both sides of the ball, and the the, the Trayvon Hill situation with him. Um, taken off and, and, and uh, you know, getting suspended you know, indefinitely from the team and then ultimately transferring, you know, after the season to, to, to Miami. Uh, there goes your, your pass rush threat and um, Halshin Gaines, you know, tears his knee up and, and is 
mom tragically passes away somewhat unexpectedly and that's maybe your number two pass rush guy gone and you know it's a recipe for disaster and you look at you look at um a bud foster defense that gives up 45 plus points in four games which hadn't happened to virginia tech since the 1950s i mean it's just it's sort of head scratching stuff where even you know, in the worst case scenario, you wouldn't have imagined some of these things happening. And, um, you know, and of course, offensively, you're, you're dealing with Josh Jackson, his injury in the, in the third game of the season. Yeah, you know, it's hard to say whether, you know, they, they would have been a whole lot better if, if he had stayed healthy. Because in my mind, given the circumstances, I didn't find Ryan Willis to be that unappealing of an option as it turned out. I mean, I thought he, he played fairly well. Um, and and I, I know, um, you know, they were playing with sort of a limited playbook, I'm sure at times. And, and, uh, you know, it, it, it showed and, uh, you know, so I think they were, they, like I said, they were limited with what they could do down the stretch and, and they never could really get a running game established. They couldn't stop the run on the other side of the ball where again, a Bud Foster defense gives up more rushing yards than, than he's ever given up before in his 24 seasons as defensive coordinator. I believe it was, I don't have the numbers. I think it was something about 210 yards per game. That's just unheard of for, for a tech defense. So, you know, all these things kind of combined to, to you know, when you look at it, uh, it to, to me, I know Coach Fuente wanted to say at at, uh, at ACC kickoff, uh, you know, last week that you know he was happy with the resilience of his team just to get to a bowl. And I think that's valid. I do think there's some validity to that. You know, to look at the you know the, the fact that they had to win three you know down the stretch just to get to a bowl and they did it. Um, and he, like you said, they had to do it with a rescheduled game, obviously, and, and uh, that's a unique circumstance and probably not something that Tech will look back at and be all that proud of. But hey, they won the game, they got to a bowl, and you know they they struggled against a, a good Cincinnati team and you know finished with a losing record for the first time since 1992. I mean, it's a it's a season I'm sure that that got Fuente and his staff and a lot of the veteran players in the team would much rather delete. But there's a lot that can be learned from that and. You know, I think the learning process began in uh, in January or after the you know, at least after the season when you know, Reggie Floyd and, and Dalton Keene were talking last week about how they had a you know closed door meeting, which is not uncommon. It happens with, with programs everywhere, obviously. But I think it was a critical step for a team that that needed to have that kind of moment with just the coach, nobody else on the staff, just Flint Day and and all the players, offense, defense, and special teams, and returning guys in one room together with what it sounded like from what uh, Reggie described as players talking about what they felt like went wrong, where they felt uh, there was a disconnect between this, maybe the staff and the players and how they wanted, you know, coaches to, to check in a little bit more on players just to kind of see how they're doing. And, you know, it sounded like there was maybe a, a, a human element that was missing in a lot of ways from what they were trying to get done and the frustration of it all last season. And then on the flip side of that, Flint, they had an opportunity to, uh, talk about what he felt like was important. Obviously, correcting the problems. And they they addressed a lot of the problems that that took place and how they try to fix those. And, and uh, once again, touched on accountability. And I think that you know obviously had a lot to do with some of the transfer issues too. And you know when the dust settles on the transfers, it ended up being I think nine guys that leave and four starters out of the bunch. And you know there there, there were other programs that that had similar attrition through through. Uh, um, uh, transfer, you know, what, well, college football free agency, more or less, um, uh, in the offseason. 
season, maybe Virginia Tech might have been one of the most, um, the highest number of transfers. But again, there were others that had similar numbers, so I'm not sure it's all that catastrophic. But um, you know, it it all adds up to a pretty tumultuous season. Norm, I do want to hit on that real quick with the with the transfers, and you mentioned that it, it felt like there were a ton of them, probably in that November through January window. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the what I'll call the college football community was looking at that and saying, "Oh boy, like we got turmoil in Blacksburg. There's a problem. You know, this is the this is the beginning of the end for Justin Fuente. All this." But then you turn around and, and from conversations that Mike and I have had, if you actually look at people who are in the know about the Virginia Tech football program, there's not really quite nearly that sense of panic that everyone kind of expects that there should be. Um, and it, it sounds like that's. You know, it's it's just kind of a, a transitional year here as as we kind of adjust the culture and make sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah, this is life in college football in you know the, in 2019, 2018, you know, back into that year. I, I don't think this is unusual. I mean, it, yeah, it's unusual at the time because you see it happening and you think, you know, oh wow, this is shocking to see. You know, I guess at one point, um, you know a dozen guys at the transfer portal and but then you look around the landscape and Penn State's having similar issues and there are other programs or big programs that are you know power five conference teams that are having uh similar situations and to be quite frank I I'm not sure that some of the guys that Virginia Tech lost won't end up being addition by subtraction in some ways um there was you know rampant rumors of of Trevon Hill kind of you know, being a fly in the ointment in some ways, and, and uh, some of them, uh, you know, uh, we were never able to sort of put our finger on exactly what transpired with all that, but there were clearly some issues there, um, and, and you know, there were some other, you know, some guys, I think, that, that took a good look, and I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's, I think they're well within their rights to, 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 to take a good look at what's out there, and in Hooker, you know, Sean McLeese, took a good look around and decided, no, it's, you know, I'm good right where I'm at. You know, they've got, they've got a right to do that. And that's, you know, if you're, if you're given the opportunity by the NCAA to do this, you got to do it. I mean, it's, it's part of the, especially, and you know, a lot of these guys that ended up transferring are, 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 uh, you know, uh, uh, graduates, you know, so who, who want playing time and, and Coach Fuente talked about that last week. You know, Samuel Denmark wants to go. He, he wants to start somewhere. Well, the, the kid graduated. Go forth and be happy, you know, to see if you can find a spot where you can play. Because it clearly wasn't happening for him in Blacksburg. So, uh, bright, super bright kid, you know. And um, so that, that, by the way, is not what I'm talking about as far as addition by subtraction. But there are, you know, there was there were some, some personality clashes, it sounds like. And, you know, whether that was because of what happened with, you know, those players or, you know, some, some, some factors off the field or whether it was something that was said between the coaching staff and, and that player or those players, you know, it, we, we may never know. But, um, you know, I think when the dust settles on it all, yeah, you look at it and you think, oh, man, you know, nine guys is, is quite a bit. But, you know, we're talking about a lot of guys that hadn't played. Uh, we're still going to have to play, you know, fight for, for, for jobs. Um, and, and, you know, in some cases weren't going to get playing time. So, um, I think when coach Fuente talks about it and he kind of tries to downplay the, the, um, uh, the, the stress level that was involved with it, I do think there was some stress involved only because when you lose that many guys, 
you got to try to fill the spots, you know, and, and it really throws your scholarship numbers in, in flux as far as you know, who's in the portal, who's not in the portal when you're, you know, when you get down to signing day and you know, how many scholarships we're going to have available, how many guys can you get in, you know, to, to, to fill those spots. Can you, can you fill them with, with guys that are going to be viable options and that, that can at least be, um, you know, valuable in personnel groupings. Um, I, I do think that there is some stress involved there, but when you look at the players that did leave, I'm not sure that they're, you know, entirely, you know, they're wringing their hands over most of them. Again, they did lose four starters. That's, that's painful, but, you know, in, in a lot of cases, Josh Jackson included, um, they're, they're replaceable. Norm, you mentioned uh, the transfers and Josh Jackson obviously moves on to Maryland after, you know, being injured last year. It's kind of the perfect segue into the 2019 season. Justin Fuente comes out last week at the ACC kickoff and says, oh, there's a quarterback competition. You know, it's it's open and, you know, we'll see what happens come fall. And, you know, you and I both know, and Joey has the same feeling that Ryan Willis has to be the guy. I mean, you mentioned earlier, he comes in last year in pretty difficult circumstances, throws 24 touchdowns to nine interceptions, did a pretty good job overall, I thought, of taking care of the football, um, save for that fumble against Notre Dame, which being in the stadium, Norm, as, as you were and I was, that was horrible. It turned the entire game. Um, but I thought Ryan Willis overall did a pretty solid job last year uh, coming in, filling in for Josh Jackson. He's got to be the favorite coming into fall camp. Yeah, I, I think so. I think there's, uh, you know, I just didn't see anything uh, in the spring in particular that made me think that uh, Hendon Hooker or Quincy Patterson, uh, since those are, are obviously the two guys that would, would challenge the most, um, are are ready to take that job from him. Now, having said that, I think it's really commendable on Hendon Hooker's behalf in particular that the guy entered the portal was kind of off out of the scene for three or four weeks, uh, didn't go through winter conditioning drills with his teammates and came into spring in shape and ready to go. And I mean, I thought, and he looked better. I thought, you know, he, I think he did look better than he had uh, last year. And um, so uh, maybe the gap isn't as big as, um, you know, it, it may first seem it may first seem between you know from, you know Willis and 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 Hen, you know, Hooker and, and and Patterson, but I do think that right now heading into uh, preseason practices and the start of camp on August first and second there that um, it's going to take something special for either one of those two guys to supplant Ryan as the starter, and um, you know the other thing is with you know. Willis now with a, a full season to have, you know, watch Josh Jackson and now uh, as the primary starter for most of a season um, and now, you know, another spring uh, as the, you know, sort of unofficial starter at this point, you get a chance to expand the playbook a little bit, I think, with a guy that's a lot more confident than he was last year. Um having not put it into motion, you know, never really stepped on the field as a active member of the team. And you know, now he's got some experience and an opportunity to sort of cut him loose a little bit, I would, I would guess. And I do think he's probably uh, for, for people that are, he's a little bit of a secret weapon in the running game. <laughs> you know, I don't think there's, 
you know, a lot of people that expected him to be quite as effective as he was running the ball, but he can, he can he's tough. I mean, he can put his head down and, and, and gain some yards. And, um, you know, he, he, he scatter shoots a little bit. He's, he's, he, I think he gets a little hyped up and he talked last year about, um, you know, kind of having the, the, the wide eyed look in the huddle and, you know, maybe being a little bit of a spaz in there, you know, at times. <laughs> and, you know, and I think he calmed down as the season went along. And so a lot of that's natural, I think, for a guy that hadn't played since he was at Kansas and, you know, for a truly awful team when he was there. And, um, now I think he comes in a little bit, uh, more calm and, and sure of himself. And he's, a, he seems like a pretty bright guy. And, uh, to me, it just seems to me, it just seems like there is a little bit of a gap between him and, and Hendon and Quincy Patterson. Quincy Patterson to me is, I actually, he's an interesting case, man. I'm, I'm not quite sure what his role is, you know, this year beyond what it was last year where he was the short yardage guy and, you know, kind of, you know, the, if you needed a guy to come in and give you a change of pace on third and short or, you know, go ahead and gain some yards, or, you know, he was a little bit of a wildcat role in, in, some, in, some, in some cases. I think he, you know, he's capable of throwing the ball a little bit more than they did last year, but I don't know what, I don't know if there's a role for him beyond what he did last year at this point. I mean, he's, he's going to have to show something, I think, a little bit more in, uh, in August to, to, to win or to, to close the gap, I think, between himself and Hendon Hooker. Because to me, I think I think Hendon's the number two quarterback. And, you know, as we talked about, I, I think Ryan's a clear number one at this point. Norm, as it relates to the running game, um, that was an area that it felt like Virginia Tech kind of struggled last year and, and has seemed to struggle a little bit the last couple of years with running this Justin Fuente offense. And now this year, losing Stephen Peoples, leading carrier, you know, leading rusher, by all means, the go-to back last year, plus having to replace multiple starters in the offensive line. Is there reason to think that that the running game actually will improve this year, or is that maybe going to be a, a potential continued cause for concern? Well, as you guys know, there's there's a guy sitting out there just kind of waiting, and we're, we're you know kind of all trying to see what Tavian Feaster is going to do. Um, and I think he could have a – a big impact, obviously, on, on, on uh, what Tech can do running the ball. Now, is he the savior? I don't think so, but that's a, that's that's a that's a sort of I mean that's purely opinion based. I would say I, I think he's a, a really valuable cog in, in, in certain personnel packages. Um, he can uh, catch the ball a little bit. A really athletic kid uh, would would provide some toughness clearly between the tackles as a good first step and. Um, not to say that he couldn't be a big time factor, but um, I'm not sure he's the savior for the running game. Whereas um, you know, they've, they've got some, I think they, they've got some new faces and they've got some guys back there. I think that are going to have an opportunity to, to make an impact. And um, you know, I, I want to see if, if, um, if Taj Gary is back to a hundred percent with the broken leg, I would imagine that he is, but um, since I don't believe that there was any structural damage beyond that, that break that he suffered last fall. So I would suspect that he'd be ready to go. But the guy I think that's most intriguing is, is Keyshawn King, even though he's, what, I think he's 5'11", maybe 180 or so, not not the biggest guy. But, man, he's got some serious, serious wheels. And um, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit and, and, and trying to, you know, trying to, you know, give that kid a bigger role than he's going to have because – you do have McLeese back, and, and Jalen Holston's finally uh, healthy and, and able to participate uh, in the offseason for the first time at full speed. 
and which is pretty unique considering he's a junior and you know it hasn't hasn't had a, a healthy offseason until now so you know maybe, maybe this is Holston's opportunity to to to, to carve out a, a, a big time role whereas last year he was hoping that would be the case and it just never really happened for him until you know the bowl where he had a nice drive or two and uh, kind of put himself back on the map I think in that game and uh, where, where does Terrius Wheatley fit into all this another kid that's trying to recover from an entry and um, you know super athletic kid with you know had some some potential in the return game also and you know is he going to be healthy and um, so that that to me is a is a is a major major question mark still uh, likely a topic I'm going to be writing about later on this week and maybe as a you know with Feaster as a jumping off point uh, you know he's down to Virginia Tech and South Carolina and my understanding the hold up with him is is the fact that he's you know still trying to graduate from Clemson and uh, he says he's a couple or I guess last week he said he was a couple weeks away from graduating and. Um, you know, he's, you know, he, you, 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 on one hand, you might say to yourself, man, it's late July. What's the holdup, dude? Let's get this done and just, you know, finish up. I mean, but I, I've also heard that the kid's working a 400 hour uh, internship this summer. So, you know, he's taking six, six credit hours, uh, working a 400 hour internship, you know, 10, 10 weeks, 40 hours a week. So um, he's got a lot on his plate and, and, you know, that's, that's, um, uh, that's that's a lot to sort of sort of deal with. So, um, sounds to me like Tech is the favorite there. But you know, unless he says it and until he makes the decision, we're going to we're all going to have to wait and see. And um, again, there's there's a lot of pieces there to work with. But you, you you mentioned with this Fuente offense that you know it sort of doesn't rely on you know one or two backs to sort of carry the load, which is what. Um, we, we, you know, we saw with, with Beamer, with his, you know, two or three back system there down the, you know, especially in the final years. Um, it, it's, it's interesting to see how, how Flinte and Cornelson sort of split up carries between sometimes four or five guys and, you know, relying on quarterbacks to get yards. And, um, it's, it doesn't really lend itself to, um, to me anyway, it doesn't really lend itself to uh, attracting a big time blue chip recruit running back or two, you know, who want to come in and, and pound the rock. And this, you know, this program doesn't really seem like it's that kind of program anymore to me. Uh, not to say that there aren't opportunities for running backs. There clearly are, but they're just deployed differently in this offense. Yeah. And the Hokies lost out on a couple of big time running back recruits over the last few years. And I was actually wondering the same thing, if it was because of the way this offense is kind of constructed, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, the running game with it just being not really a heavy reliance on the run, number one and number two, Justin Fuente essentially saying, yeah, I don't really care who runs the ball. Um, I mean, that's fine if you're having success in the running game, but on the other hand, uh, you wonder if that kind of hurts recruiting if you have a big time running back recruit that's that's in the mix. But for the Hokies offensively, while the running game is is kind of in flux, while you know there's a lot of talent there, we don't really know how well Virginia Tech will run the ball. The receiver position, despite losing Eric Kuma, who out of all the guys they've lost, I'd argue is is the biggest guy to lose or the toughest mm-hmm. loss on the on the offense it seems like the receiver position is set up to be the deepest it's been in years and maybe one of the best units in the ACC. Yeah, I agree. And I'd agree with your assessment of Kuma too. For me, it's either Kuma or Watts. Um, and Watts obviously struggled last year. I'm sure we'll get to that side of the ball, but um, still, still a young guy with a lot of potential. But if you, if you're looking at, 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 
the receiver spot in particular, uh, yeah, I, I mean, with Damon Hazelton, who I thought may have deserved a little bit more attention for that preseason All-ACC team, um, you know, I'd like to have seen how the votes were split with that. But, um, you know, and then Trey Turner, who to me is still somehow, some way, uh, somewhat of a secret in the ACC. And, you know, this is a guy that, um, I mean, every time, almost every time he caught the ball last year, like more, greater than 75% of his receptions, I believe, were for first downs or touchdowns as they, you know, money plays as they call them. And um, that the guy's got endless potential, I think, considering his, his youth and, um, you know, with those two guys and, and, and uh, Hezekiah Grimsley, I think, is uh, comfortable now in the slot or on the perimeter, have, you know, played at both and you know, probably played a little bit earlier than, than, than uh, you know, he needed to uh, a couple years ago when he was just getting his feet wet. But now that I think that helps him uh, again because you know, he's learned both spots and, um, you know, and then, and then you take it on down the list, I guess, with, you know, Phil Patterson and, you know, if you want to throw Dalton Keene in there because he's so versatile, you know, he's, he's you know, by trade, he's a tight end, but he's, he's a, you know, as true an H back as you can get, you can split him out, you can put him in the slot. Um, they do, they've got a lot of weapons, I think there that, that, that can, that can, you know, really kind of um, open some things up and, and, you know, they've, they've got some, some potential, I think with some younger players too, to even, to even, you know, give them even more uh, versatility with, you know, Taven Robinson coming in and um, Elijah Bowick, I think, and, and um, you know, Jacoby Pinkney. And um, I, you got to, for some reason, I'm drawing a blank at this point with uh, uh, Payu. Did, did, did he qualify or is he heading to, 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 to prep school? I, I know I've written this at some point, but for some reason I'm, I'm blanking on it. I think, I think he did qualify, didn't he? Yeah, I believe he did. Yeah, so, and that, I mean, that guy, I mean, super, I, mean, I don't know if you've seen these, have you seen the new clip on, on, uh, on, I think on Twitter or the last few days of him doing the, what do they call it, the pickup truck jump or something like that, where he's. Yeah, he's clearing the bed of the pickup truck. <laughs> clearing the bed of the pickup truck, dude. I mean, I, I went outside and looked at my neighbor's pickup truck and thought, you know, that can't be that hard. Dude, it comes up almost to like my my chest you know it's like I'm, I'm six feet tall and it's like rib level with me it's like and he's he's doing it almost flat foot i think he takes one step and jumps that's impressive stuff <laughs> i don't know what that does for him on the football field but you know it's 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 a group that's deep um really talented at the top with with damon and and um and and trey and Hezzy, I'm throwing that group also, and, and that that to me is is definitely the strength of the team. Where you know, as you know, as of last year, heading into the season, it was it was a question mark, and they've definitely answered some questions, and certainly got to give Ryan Willis or whoever starts at quarterback a lot of confidence. Norm, I want to switch over and talk about the defense for a second. And Mike and I were talking before we came on. Um, I full disclosure, I, I'm a Georgia Tech guy. Um, and I was telling him that it was interesting to me watching – there was almost like a difference in inflection point in the Bud Foster defense when Justin Fuente took over. You know, I got used to watching Georgia Tech against Virginia Tech for years and years with Beamer as the head coach. And, I mean, sometimes Georgia Tech's able to move the ball, but it was constantly – I mean, it was laboring. I mean, it, it was hard for them to run the ball. And now in three straight years under Fuente, it, it's like they've had – 
you know, a lot more luck running the ball and then a lot more luck scoring points. And so am, am I just imagining things? Am I remembering things wrong? Or is something different about Bud Foster's defenses in the past three years under Fuente than they were in, call it 15 years under, uh, under Frank Beamer? I don't know if it's so much Fuente and, and you know, him trying to interject or, or add some element, because I think for the most part, Fuente has rightfully so made uh, Bud Foster the CEO, for lack of a better term, of the defense. And, and he will make some, some contributions, obviously, and make the final calls on things. I'm talking about Fuente. But, uh, you know, Bud is the architect and will forever be, uh, you know, sort of the the, uh, the orchestrator of that. And, and um, the the thing that I think is tr- that's happened in the last three years in particular is that there's been so much transition uh, especially for, for from from Foster, and, and he's not alone. Uh, a lot of defensive coordinators have made this move. So much transition to, to, to nickel defense now, and I think um, you know. Whereas you saw uh, that that whip position in the past, you know, we all remember the the Cody Grimm roles, and the Brendan Hills, and James Anderson, and some of those really you know classic whips of the last you know 10 12 years or so for virginia maybe 15 years for virginia tech uh that were able to play the run uh, had enough athleticism to uh um stick with slot receivers or work with a tight end down the field and and really play a dual role now i think that's really 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 kind of morphed into something else i'm not sure that you can really refer to it as that traditional sort of whip position uh that that they've had you know in the last you know again you know what they had 10 15 years ago now i think it's it's more of a true uh fifth defensive back on the field it's a true nickel defense um that whip position has become more and more I think to, to play the whip at Virginia Tech, uh, you really, really have to be able to to, to uh, play against the pass and, and and stick with receivers. And you're seeing smaller, more athletic guys at that spot, which are obviously indicative of that fifth defensive back. And to me, it places a big onus on the rover to to uh, be sharp in pass protection and run stopping. And uh, it puts a lot of pressure, I think, on uh, on that that rover sort of you know strong safety role uh, to be able to do both. And uh, I think it's had an impact on stopping the run in the last few years. And, and obviously, no no obviously more so last year than at any other time. And uh, a lot of that had to do with injuries and guys you know playing in spots before their time. Um, now, you know, I think a lot of that uh, goes into it when you when you look at how they struggled last year. Uh, you know, they had they had forty different starters on offense and defense last year, which is a lot. I mean, that's a lot of guys to to cycle through. Um, and, and again, a lot of that is because of guys that that uh, were either you know suspended like Trevon Hill, or uh, you know there were some injuries, like I said. So to me, I think last year was. Um, you know, a little bit of an anomaly just because of so there was so much person personnel and you know in, in, you know, in flux. And um, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see how that manifests itself this year, uh, considering you know you, you get all those guys in the field last year, and I think especially in the secondary, 
Um, and, and now you get a chance to see uh, what they've learned and if they've taken their lumps. Caleb Farley in particular, I think it, he really struggled, I think, last year. But you're talking about you know, the fastest guy on the team, maybe the most athletic guy on the team. It just seems to me like it would be uh, really puzzling to me if he continued to struggle the way he did at times last year. Uh, Reggie Floyd, obviously, is an asset back there. They love Devon Diablo at the safety spot also, and his athleticism being a former receiver. And, um, you know, I, 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 there's obviously question marks at the other cornerback spot. But, um, you know, that to me, if you can if you can shore up the, the, the pass defense and, and make that what it has been traditionally over the years, uh, that gives an opportunity for the guys up front to mature and, uh, the biggest question mark that they have beyond sort of that corner, I think, the, you know, the, 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 what they're going to do at cornerback, you know, is Jeremy Webb ready? Um, you know, since he's been cleared, that's a big question. But, you know, what does the pecking order look like up front on the defensive line? I mean, they've, you know, I know Fuente says that he feels confident he can develop a pass rush, um, even without house gains there, and that there's, uh, potential there, and I'm sure there is, but they just don't have a proof of pass rusher right now. Um, they don't have a real pecking order at the defensive end spots at all beyond Emmanuel Belmar. Uh, I know they love Jared here and there at one of the defensive tackle spots, but they're really dependent on, sounds like Deshaun Crawford, the junior college transfer, to step in and, and play a big, big role there at defensive tackle. So they've got a lot to get answered, I think, at, at the cornerback spots and, and certainly up front. But uh, they they, they got to feel good about Rashard Ashby and, and certainly Dax Hollifield with linebacker spots. That's clearly the strength of that defense. Yeah, so you mentioned the depth issues at defensive tackle norm or or on the defensive line really as a whole. Um, So I think Tech could be running into an issue defensively a little bit because they don't have any proven pass rushers because there are depth issues at cornerback with Bryce Watts' transfer. You have now a reliance on Jeremy Webb, you know, coming off of two torn Achilles tendons. And there's really also the question mark about Devin Hunter too, right? So Devin Hunter, you know, a few years ago, he's – one of the most highly touted recruits that tech has ever had. And he really just hasn't found a role. He was a special teamer as a freshman last year. He ends up redshirting after not really being able to find a spot on the defense. So what do you expect Devin Hunter's role to be? Can he find a role on this defense? And what do you think the Hokies are going to do with cornerback outside of Jeremy Webb? Cause I think relying on a guy who's got two blo- coming off two blown Achilles tendons uh, is, is a really tough ask. Yeah. Devin Hunter, I think was a, it was an odd situation last year, you know, considering he, he did sort of open the season as a guy that uh, was going to be dependent upon to, um, you know, provide um, a spark at that, that, that whip spot that we talked about and, and show some versatility probably. And uh, I think they, they thought he had a potential to play some safety too, maybe down the road. And, you know, that was sort of his, um, you know, position of, of uh, by, by trade coming in into the program and um, with his athleticism and, and um, you know ability to, to to make up ground, I think he, he kind of fit into that that whip role pretty well. He's also a he's, he's a sturdy kid. You know, he's a thick thick kid who's, who's got uh, good strength and and maybe um, you know could could have given them an opportunity there to to. Uh, you know, make some, make up some ground at the, at the whip spot. But, you know, then comes the red shirt and I, there was, you know, speculation as to what that was all about. I mean, were, were they going to, was he, was he really going to, 
you know, continue to you know, take that year to, to learn that position? Was he, were they going to put him back at safety? And, um, you know, were they going to, you know, move into running back? There was some talk about that, you know, and obviously that was, there was nothing, nothing to that. But, um, you know, it was, it was interesting to me to, to, to see uh, what that, well, it will be interesting to me to see what that was all about, see how he's kind of developed since then. Is he, you know, where, where, what exactly is his role? And um, that, that, you know, that to me is uh, still one of the bigger mysteries, I think, on, on the team as to, as to where he fits in and um, exactly what, uh, what what he can do for them. Um, and, and, you know, what, you know, what, what is he, uh, what is he best suited for, you know? And, and I think they're still trying to figure that out a little bit if it's, if it's you know back there in the secondary, is it at that whip spot, or or exactly where where does he where does he fit? Norm, let's talk about the schedule for just a second. Um, as we look into this, I always start by looking at the the non conference schedule for these teams. And one of the things that sticks out to me about Virginia Tech's non conference is it's it's kind of particularly spread out through the season. A lot of teams have two or three non conference right up front, or that kind of thing, and. Virginia Tech has games two, three, six, and eight. I think against non-conference, plus two of them being against um, against FCS teams is also particularly interesting. I mean, it's Old Dominion, Furman, Rhode Island, all at home. Um, of course, Furman and Rhode Island both FCS teams, and then a, a road trip to Notre Dame on November second. And and realistically, I mean, that's an awfully forgiving uh, out of conference schedule in terms of you know. Looking for wins, right? I mean, and I was about to say that there's only really one losable game on there against Notre Dame, but then again, I guess there's a second one that they did lose last year. Although we maybe don't expect a a repeat performance of that game this year. Yeah, man, I'd I'd be stunned if uh, I, I I definitely think that Old Dominion circled on the calendar for Virginia Tech based on what happened last year. But you know, if they give up 632 yards again, and you know. You know, myriad of enormous plays that they gave up to you know, use backup quarterback. If they do that again, then they certainly deserve to lose again. I just don't. I just don't see that happening, and certainly not in Blacksburg. But let's be honest: this is a hideous, hideous home schedule, and, and it's not going to help season ticket sales. But uh, it got to. It's got to make uh, you know Tech feel pretty good about their chances of running the table at home. I mean, if you look at it. Other than Wake, and I think Wake is massively underrated right now. Other than than, than Wake, I, I don't know if there's another team on the the home slate for Virginia Tech that will have a winning record when they when they come to Lane Stadium. Maybe Duke, but Duke is a little down also, and they've they've, they've got they've got a, they they got a bear of a start also, and um, it's a it's a doable schedule certainly at home. It is a challenging. I think it's a challenging away slate. I mean. It, it, Open BC is is the pick, and um, you know they're they're going to get their their rush defense. Virginia Tech's going to get their rush defense tested right away against AJ Dillon, and a really good offensive line there. And you know, going down to Miami, I think will be difficult against the, the, the team. I think that is maybe the most uh, talented anyway in the in the, uh, in the coastal division. Uh, the trip to Notre Dame is. Always going to be a test, and and you know the, the the off week prior to that is, I think, enormous for Virginia Tech, and uh, they they should win. I'm sorry, Joey, at Georgia Tech. Um, it doesn't break. 
doesn't make break my heart as a Georgia alum. I'll tell you that much. But uh, <laughs> and then and then to close the season at, at Virginia is is I mean what a way to close it out, man. I mean that's you know the 15 game winning streak truly on the line, and Virginia was favored last year in that game in Blacksburg and couldn't get it done. And um, you know this is the year you would think if they're gonna if they're finally gonna get it done. You know the inshaws full and against a, a Virginia Tech team that's. You know, wounded and still trying to prove itself and who knows where they're at you know at that point of the season um you know that's that might be virginia's chance but um so yeah it's it there is a uh, wide disparity i think between the, the home slate and the you know including the two fcs teams um through no fault really no fault of virginia techs i mean they, they had to schedule that game against rhode island they had no other options really uh, after uh, ecu backed out um, and there's just a wide disparity between the, the home schedule and the and and the road schedule, and um, it'll be interesting to see. Just I, I think by the time they get to that Notre Dame game and that road trip to, to South Bend, uh, to see where where Virginia Tech is at. I mean, they've got a chance, I think, to to have a really really nice record at that point of the year, and um, you know, and and if they they roll into to, to uh, South Bend with a with you know maybe a loss or two and coming off an off week, uh, that shapes up as a as a as a pretty massive game clearly for both teams and certainly for Virginia Tech. Norm, there are a couple things that stand out to me. You touched on them. Um, Boston College in the opener facing AJ Dillon with the uncertainty on the defensive line. You are tested right off the bat on the road. Um, in what could be one of the most pivotal games of the season for Virginia Tech. I mean, it's easy to say that about any opener, but especially when you have an ACC opponent in the opener um, against a running back as good as A.J. Dillon. I mean, I think that's a really, really pivotal game on Virginia Tech's schedule. Going on the road to Miami is always tough. We have no idea what their quarterback situation is going to be, but I think Joey and I are in agreement. Miami is certainly the most talented team in the Coastal Division. Um, on the road at Notre Dame, it's probably one of the only sure losses, in my opinion, just looking at looking at it on paper on Virginia Tech's schedule. And shoot, I mean, looking at the Virginia game at the end of the year, of course, we don't know what these teams are going to look like by uh, the end of November after Thanksgiving. But Virginia is the ACC favorite coming out of uh, the ACC kickoff. And this could certainly be the second year in a row that Virginia Tech goes into that game as an underdog there on the road with you know, to be honest, I think it's probably the the best opportunity Virginia has to uh, kind of turn the tides and finally break that streak. No, no, no doubt about it, man. And it, you know, honestly, it, it probably should have happened last year. I mean, that, that was a, in in essence a fluky win, I think, for Virginia Tech, and and for, for, you know, Virginia probably should have won that game. And um, you know, if if there's a bad taste left in Virginia's mouth over that game. You know, given all that they've got, you know, coming back, and um, you know, what, they're all going to remember that. And um, this is this is their opportunity, you know, no question about it. But you, 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 that that game at BC on, on August thirty first is fascinating to me, just because of what we've already talked about with uh, that defense, just in, su- in such, you know, uh, with so many so many question marks and so many guys trying to get comfortable and. You know, is Jeremy Webb ready? Or do they have the, you know, do they have the defensive line set with, um, you know, Ty, Ty Garbett is another guy defensive end. I, I didn't, I failed to mention earlier. You know, is he the starter? Is 
is Zion DeBose the guy there? Uh, uh, you know, it, it seemed like Garbage probably the the, the 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 favorite of one of those end spots. But all things they've got to get ironed out in August. You know, it, you know, is Devin Hunter? You know, is is he going to have a role there in the secondary? You know, as a I assume he's probably going to be a backup to, to Reggie Floyd or Devon Diablo in one of the safety spots. But, you know, do they try to work him in at whip a little bit uh, where they where they just don't have much experience there? And, you know, he, he played a little bit last year early in the season and started some. And, um, you know, it's, it's there's just, and, and, you know, what, you know, what do they do if Jeremy Webb isn't ready? You know, is it, is it Javon Quillen? Is it uh, Armani Chapman at that other cornerback spot? I mean, these are all things they've got to get ironed out in 30 days and, you know, get ready to play a team that you know could run all over them if they if they uh, if they can you know find some weaknesses in Virginia Tech's defense, which is entirely possible given all that they're still trying to you know work out and and, and, and figure out uh, uh, before that 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 season opener. But you know, we, the the two most interesting games on the schedule could be the bookends. You know, it's you know the BC game and and at, at UVA, and uh, that that's an interesting and, and you know never mind the fact that that's a that's a Friday night game again um, in, in Charlottesville. And, you know, all eyes from the college football world anyway will be on that, that, uh, that game. And, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting way to open and close, I think. Definitely a weird year to have at least your three hardest games all on the road, if not yeah. maybe the fourth, if you include Boston yeah. College. Yeah. Depending on what you think Boston College is as compared to Wake Forest, I mean – you might have all four of your toughest games on the road and also Georgia Tech. But um, I'm, I'm looking at this schedule, Mike, like here's my thing is I'm looking at this and thinking, oh, yeah, like Virginia Tech should be better than that team, should be better than that team, that team, that team. And like easily finding a way to talk myself into like nine and three, ten and two with this schedule, even even with those tough games on the road. But then I'm having to remind myself, like we have not had like the – consistently productive, reliable, good Virginia Tech the last couple of years that we got used to for so many years under Beamer. And I mean, the talent very clearly seems like it's there. I mean, you think that the defense brings back basically everybody. The best thing about freshmen and sophomores is that they become sophomores and juniors. Like, I mean, everything points to this being a really good year for Virginia Tech. I guess I'm I'm still a little bit skeptical or concerned as to whether they can put it all together under under this Fuente coaching staff because, I mean, the first year it went really well, but with a whole bunch of guys that were, again, juniors and seniors that were like NFL-level talents, I don't know if it's quite there yet, and I'm, I'm struggling to have faith in this staff. Um, Mike, what do, you, what do you think record-wise here? I'm thinking nine and three. Eight and four wouldn't surprise me only because there's always one game on the schedule that you circle and you say Virginia Tech should win that game. They always find a way to lose it. Last year it was, well, last year notwithstanding, given the fact that they lost to a bunch of teams that on paper they probably shouldn't have lost to. The the Pittsburgh loss by 30 points, the Old Dominion loss obviously being the highlight of them. I'm going to go with nine and three, Joey. I could see it being eight and four, but I do think this is a bounce back year. Uh, I think Ryan Willis will be better, um, and he was pretty good last year, underratedly good considering the hand he was dealt. Uh, I think he does take a step forward. Norm alluded to that earlier with you know the fact that he's got an entire offseason kind of as the guy, even though Fuente wants to kind of tout this as a competition. Um, 
I, I think they find a way to get past Boston College in the opener. And I think if they do that, they should be, in theory, it should be smooth sailing until Miami. You know, Duke loses a lot. They're the most talented team between the Boston College and Miami games. Um, that's that's a game that you do get at home, though, which I think will help. Um, Miami's going to be a tough one on the road. Notre Dame, of course, on the road is going to be a tough game. And then there's going to be one other game in there if it's not Boston College that I feel like Virginia Tech may end up losing just because that's kind of what they do. You know, Pittsburgh does re- does return a bunch of talent, at least on the defensive side of the ball, and they still have Kenny Pickett, at quarterback. They lose all their rushing production uh, from a year ago, and they got to find a way to replace that. But maybe that's a game that sneaks up on on the Hokies and they lose that one, or maybe it's the Wake Forest game at home. You know, I think Wake Forest is one of those teams in the Atlantic division that could sneak up on some people. I saw their pick sixth in the Atlantic, which I feel like is criminal (laughs) given what they have coming back, especially in the quarterback room. So all in all, I'm going to stick with nine and three. I think they find a way to get to that record, give them two losses in the ACC. uh, And we'll kind of see what happens, but it's a total toss up in the coastal. I think you can flip a coin between three or four different teams. Norm, what are you thinking record-wise? Are you kind of with Mike? Are you a little higher, a little lower? Well, Vegas has them as a, you know, I hate to go chalk here, but Vegas has them as an eight-win team, and that's where they've set the over-under, and I, I kind of see them as an eight-and-four team. I mean, it, we, we tend to forget, you know, because they, they finished the season strong last year with the wins against Virginia and Marshall, that this was not a good team at home. I mean, even at home last year, I mean, you know, they, they, they've lost four consecutive games at home. And, and, and most of those, uh, if not all of them were ugly. I mean, they, they were, they were bad losses at home. Um, and, and, and all of them by double digits, you know, and then it takes, again, what I termed a fluky win against Virginia, it takes a Bryce Perkins fumble in the end zone that Virginia tech recovers, you know, to, to, to you know, for, for tech to save their bacon against, against PPA and, um, and then they beat an overmatched quality, but still overmatched Marshall team, I think, in that that game uh, uh, in, in in December to get to the bowl, where they're highly motivated to to try to continue the bowl streak. And um, so, have they cured their ills at home? I mean, this is the kind of schedule where you would think that there's not much of a hiccup on in sight. Um, but you know that that weight game is interesting, I think, and I do think. Pittsburgh's going to be horrible this year, but um, you know that that's a team that uh, you know has got to got to rebuild a little bit after um, you know a, a, a I guess you could call it a successful season last year. They won the Coastal, but they finished with a losing record, and to me that speaks to the weakness of the division. But um, look, I I think they lose at Miami. I think they lose at Notre Dame. I I think they lose to either Wake or Virginia, maybe both. And I, I, you know, if you, and, and, and the game at BC is sort of the toss up to me. Um, so they've got two or three road losses there. Um, and maybe the loss to wake. So yeah, I'll, I'll stick with eight and four. I mean, to, to me, that seems like, and, and, and that to me is not an unsuccessful season coming off what they had last year. Now, does that, Quiet the the, uh, the 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 headhunters for for Justin Fuente and and make everything you know you know kind of give him a, a clear path to the 2020 season. Yeah, I mean certainly it, it it gives him some more time, but 
you know, I'm, I'm not sure that, that, you know, an eight and four season is going to make all the rumblings go away. And, 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 you know, I, I'm not sure he's on the hot seat, so to speak, when he goes into 2020, if they're, if they're eight and four, uh, depending what happens in a bowl, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I do think that, you know, anything short of another nine win season, like they had a couple of years ago, and there are going to be questions about, you know, whether this this is still the staff to get it done, but you know, look, if they go eight four, to me, that's progress. Um, that's that's a step in the right direction after last season. Um, and and to me, I think um, it, it, it would seem that um, there's at least an opportunity for Fuente and the staff to breathe a little bit easier. But um, you know, and, and given that home slate, man, I think there's every chance that they could go. You know, they could go seven and zero at home. It's it's going to be incumbent for them, or it's it's, it's going to be critical for them to be successful at home and and to to sort of um, uh, build off of success that they had late last season at home and and really try to exercise the demons they had earlier in the season at home because again they just were not good no matter where they played home or away and that's particularly alarming I think for Tech fans to see them struggle the way they did at home Uh, with this kind of schedule. Fans are going to be paying, paying really close attention to what they do at home, I think, because if they struggle at all at home this year, um, it's it's going to be it's it's going to be a little dicey, I think, for for Fuente and 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 the, and the staff. I think I'm with you on this norm at eight and four, um, and it's it's purely. I I think again, I tend to agree with Mike that like the schedule is in place that this probably could slash should be like a nine and three kind of team, but. I think I'm playing a little bit to my my doubt or my my lack of confidence so far that you're going to get good, you know, consistently good quality on both sides of the ball with this team from based on what we've seen the last couple of years. And one of the things I'll point out is that if you do get consistently good quality play on both sides of the ball, that will take you a long way in the ACC Coastal in 2019. Like that's that's when you start talking about definitely a 9 and 3, maybe even like a 10 and 2 kind of season. Um, I mean, you could be talking about a division title, all those things. I mean, it, it doesn't take that much. Um, hey, eight four, eight four can win you the division. You know, I mean, that's, sure, that's you know, it's only good. Sure, completely. Um, one of the other things I'll, I'll mention, just for the uh, sake of putting it on the record, is that um, at at this point, seven and five is the absolute minimum for making a bowl game for Virginia Tech with two FCS teams on the on the schedule. Right. Keep that in mind. Unless one of the losses in a six and six team was to the Correct. FCS team, I mean, you know, just throwing that out there. But it's ha- it happened before. I mean, it's not a long time, but it's happened before. Don't put it past them. Don't put it past them. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go eight and four. I, I, I think I'd probably leave. I don't know if I mean if the Vegas totals right at eight, maybe I'd bet the over. But then again, that is a lot of confidence to have in a again in a staff that I don't know if I've quite seen it from yet. So um, maybe leave it alone. I don't know. Michael bet the over. I'll 100% bet the over. Always bet the over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Always bet the over. There you go. There yeah. you go. All right. Uh, Mike, I think that's all I got for Norm. You got anything else while we got him on? I think we're good. I think that's been pretty thorough. Pretty thorough. Norm, thank you so much for joining us. Um, really appreciate your time tonight and for all of your insights. This has been really informative. And um, Mike has even kind of in, told me throughout this that he's been impressed with the the level of depth of knowledge that you've brought here. So, Thank you so much for joining us. You want to tell the people where they can find all your stuff? Yeah, sure. Joey, Mike, first of all, I appreciate you having me. This has been fun. And, 
Um, but we'll have to do it again down the road. Yeah, you can you can uh, check me out at uh, www.dailypress.com forward slash sports, and I'll you know given the the fact that for uh, what I guess this is the twentieth consecutive season, I'll be living out there. Um, uh, well, I'll generally have something up front on that that website. Uh, gotta gotta pay the bills somehow to to keep me out there during the fall and. And then on Twitter, you can catch me uh, very simply at Norm Wood. So uh, those are the best ways to, to catch me. Norm, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time. We'd love to have you back on sometime if you get a if you get a chance to kind of check in on things. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me, guys. Appreciate it, Norm. All right. Talk to you soon. To hell with Georgia. <laughs> I knew you weren't going to let that one slide. <laughs> I was not. I was not. All right. Uh, appreciate it, Norm. Thank you, man. All right, guys. See you. All right, Mike. That's Norm Wood. Uh, that was a. I thought that was a really informative, great preview. Um, got a lot out of that. So um, really appreciate him jumping in and uh, giving a lot of depth and a lot of insights there into what is a. I think a very intriguing Virginia Tech season coming up. So um, really glad we had him on. Yeah, the uh, the Tech fans of our podcast, Joey. You know, we have the two Techs covered here, and we have for quite some time. It's we're not afraid to say it's a. It's a decent part of our listenership. Um, it's gotten better over over the years that we've been doing this podcast, but the Virginia Tech and the Georgia Tech fans have been with us since day one, and I think they're really going to enjoy that that preview. I think it's the best Virginia Tech had on here uh, since we've started this podcast. I think so. I think so, including you. No, no just kidding. Just kidding. It, it happens. You know, <laughs> I'm willing to fall on that sword for the sake of good podcasting. <laughs> well. I'll have to fall on some swords here soon, I'm sure. Um, Mike, we need to get out of here. We need to go preview some more teams. But in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, you go find Norm on Twitter, at Norm Wood, all one word. Um, check him out for all your uh, Virginia Tech, Virginia, ACC, et cetera, uh, coverage there on the uh, Daily Press in uh, Newport News. So go check him out there. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, lots of places. Um, you can go find us all there. Uh, hit, hit the subscribe button and help us out that way. Um, if you aren't sure how to find us at this point, if you got people saying that they stopped getting on their phone or whatever, please do not hesitate to reach out to us either on Twitter or you can send your question to us via email to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. That was smooth. I'm proud of that one. Uh, Mike, you want to tell me where they can find us in the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference, rate, review, find all of our podcasts there and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It can only help us at this point. It is super helpful. And if there was a way, we'd like you to rate and review our new logo. It's pretty dope. Um, but I don't know that they actually offer logo rating services. So um, hopefully you just enjoy that. I mean, at the very least, we're high on the logo. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definitely high on the logo. It's, it's pretty sweet. And we continue to be really happy with it. So shout out Katie Brill for doing that for us. Uh, Mike, I think that's all I got. You got anything else before we get out of here? Uh, no, I think we're good, Joey. Awesome. You want to come back and preview some more teams? Got to. I think we got to. I think we got to. We're too far in on this point. We're too yeah, far in. We're, we're about halfway, right? I think this is the halfway point. It's kind of weird. We're, we're getting closer by the day. I know. Cruising. Cruising along here. Yes, sir. All right. Well, we will uh, come back and preview some more teams. But until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. Norm Wood, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC.
keep me down 